Investing insights with Right Property Group. Exploring trends in real estate and helping property investors gain financial security. Good everyone. How are you going? It's uh, Phil Tarrant here. I am the co-host of Investing Insights with the Right Property Group. Welcome back. Uh, another month, another episode, and I uh, really appreciate everyone tuning in across this podcast. I've uh, been watching with interest just the level of engagement and how we're tracking across the iTunes network in particular, and which, which ranks uh, and rates uh, podcasts. And it's good to see that uh, Investing Insights with the Right Property Group is, is really forged, forged its place uh, as a regular participant in those top lists. Uh, obviously, it's just not because of me, but mainly because of me, I imagine. It's probably got something to do with my two co-hosts, uh, Steve Waters and Victor Kumar from the Right Property Group. They're both directors. Gentlemen, how are you going? You know it's all about you. I don't. My job's just really trying to see this conversation. You're the talent, Steve, you in particular. How's it going? I'm going well after that introduction. Yeah. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah, <laughs> I feel a lot more uh, liberal in my commentary these days. Uh, oh, good segue. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty good. Now, um, it's the first recording post uh, post the federal election, and as we're recording, um, the uh, you know there's normally a bit of a gap of a couple of days between when we when we put these together and when we get it out into the uh, the interweb. But um, uh, it would appear that the uh, coalition is going to have a majority government. So. Probably investors right across Australia have breathed a sigh of relief. I think uh, the other Saturday, when um, when these results come through at about uh, eleven thirty at night, when um, uh, the uh, leader of the opposition, Bill Shorten, stood up and said, "Yeah, I've called the prime minister and said, uh, yeah, I'm throwing in the towel. You guys have won it, etc., uh, etc." Et so for property investors, and that's the the thrust, thrust and the focus of this particular podcast, is everyone you spoke to pretty happy about it? It's been actually amazing. Not that we track the socials. Yeah, terribly, but um, everybody's social pages just went, you know, off the charts mm-hmm. um, in relation to the result. I mm. had people on the election night, clients texting me up till midnight, just with jubilation. When, when did you reckon? When did you say, "Hang on a second, these guys have got it"? How how, how early on in the process? Because I sat there watching it with a a glass of uh, cheap Sauvignon Blanc by memory, uh, <laughs> watching it on on on. on uh, Unfold, and I must admit, I sort of snoozed for like half an hour here and there. <laughs> <laughs> I woke up at about eleven and uh, and saw the shenanigans. But uh, when, when did I, you when did you reckon it was going to happen? On Friday, yeah. And I know that's the day before the election, mm. but I was speaking to um, the, one of the local members in in my electorate, and that she was saying that whilst the external polls had Labor sort of all over it, uh, their internal polls showed quite a different story. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and I thought that might have just been a little bit of hope on their behalf. But I would I, I watched the ABC on Saturday night because that was a channel I could get um, and I thought it would be, you know, sort of one-sided that. But halfway through the night when Penny Wong perhaps wasn't as joyous, mm. um, I thought we, well, I thought the Liberals had a chance yeah. from that moment on. Yeah. Well, the stuff that we do at Momentum Media, uh, who you partner with to, to put this particular podcast together, uh, our, our, our polls picked it. You know, mm. probably the most accurate in Australia, to be fair. And we're going to have a look at that and sort of unpacking how we got it got it right. But um, I imagine a lot of it's to do with our audience is quite conservative, right? Um, so depending who you listen yeah. to is going to give you the the, the, the read you want. When, when did you sort of go? Hang on a second, Victor. This well, it was is- around uh, around eight o'clock at night when Steve texted me texted me and said, oh, it's close." Mm. And um, you know, looking at the trend and looking at how it was unfolding, even though there was just uh, you know um, probably about ten percent of votes being counted at that point in time. A lot of the seats that they were thinking they would not uh, even get, they were actually ahead in the polls, yeah. uh, in the voting vote counting. So 
it was still hoping at eight o'clock, but uh, you know, it was a positive hope that hang on, I, I think we've got this. Mm. Uh, and and I'm not, I'm not political by any means. I mean, I, I go, I'm neither a Labour nor a Liberal supporter in that sense. I go by platform uh, in terms of in my local area, who's who's got the better platform. But this time around, every person that I spoke with, and this is probably where they got it wrong, they got the fact that if negative gearing was abolished, it was going to hurt substantially, uh, particularly with also um, the market having changed where you know the policy was actually brought on mm. at the height of the property market when the hype was at mm. its highest. Uh, and since then, with uh, the changes APRA had brought in to um, dampen the market, uh, that's taken quite a deep bite uh, in the market, and, and therefore they didn't correct for that, and uh, the public saw through that. So, so running up to the election, we, we spoke at length about what changes mm. would come into place should the BLA government coming in. Now, what we now, now know is that we're going to have a coalition government for at least the next three years, um, and, and, and it would appear that Scott Morrison, the Prime Minister, is... Um, really resonated with Australians. So how that looks into the future, I don't know, and I'm not here to be a political commentator, but what we what we now know is that negative gear is not going to be scrapped. What mm-hmm. we now know is that the discount around CGT is not going to be scrapped. What we now know is that you have a government which is um, um, proactive and pragmatic about helping Australians create wealth, and that's great for property investors, right? There, there might be some tinkering to, to negative gearing, and, you know, there's probably an argument to say, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I would imagine. You know, yeah, mm-hmm. Six-plus properties and all that. You know, I sort of I, I get the logic, get the debate, but, um, you know, we can cover that as it happens. It was only yesterday I was um, I was having a chat with um, a really senior member of um, – ex-senior member of uh, the Liberal Party and was sort of just chewing the fat over the, the election and uh, – they reckon they, that at about nine thirty at night they went, whoa, hang on, mm. hang on a second, this Some, is different. Some, something's happening. This is different, and that's when they started going, hang on, we've got this right, we've got this, and and the take is is that, you know, um, you know, they, they call it the election that the unlosable election mm-hmm. that you know the, the 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 attack on on Australians, irrespective of where they are, Australians who are just trying to get ahead in life, hundred percent. These quiet Australians, what they're calling about, it. and these are the property investors. These are the retirees who are concerned about their franking credits. I think it's everybody, to be honest with it's you. It's the farmers, right? The farmers yeah. up in uh, the farmers and, and rural Australia up in Queensland who are going. We don't want people coming up here mm. from the left telling us how we're going to run our lives, right? Well, I, I think Labor's campaign was anti-inspirational, mm. to be honest, to, for everybody. And in today's, well, in the world that we live in today is far, far different from the 80s, from the 70s and, and the 60s. Yeah, Everybody today is an entrepreneur and, or wants to be an entrepreneur in some way, shape or form, and that's thanks to technology, the internet and what have you. And you start messing with people's aspirations and they're going to, to vote against you. And I think that's what Labor's, Labor's problem was yeah. at the end of the day. It, it was <clears throat> playing with the economic futures or circumstances of the individual, and nobody wants that. Well, they've got to work out. We don't yet know at the time of recording who's going to be the new leader of the opposition. Um, There's a couple of people throwing their their hats into the ring, but, you know, uh, there's some troubles ahead. Again, this is not a a political uh, podcast, so that's probably the extent of it. But sort of looking back at the commentary that we've had over the last couple of months and and what this means uh, versus what the future holds, I think um, uh, property investors, by and large, can approach the future with a, a level of certainty. But I, I think, and I would probably argue, and, and, and maybe a, a topic for today's podcast is that 
Australians, property investors and Australians' relationship with debt has probably changed a lot over the last couple of years. And, and the election may have been a catalyst for people to maybe be a bit more conservative around how they approach debt, how they approach wealth creation. On the basis that nothing is certain. So the decisions, the, the decisions you make today, and you want to make sure they're the most informed decisions, but the decisions you make today don't necessarily mean it's going to give you confidence around your financial position in the future. So uh, this relationship with debt, as in do you take it on, how much do you take on, when do you take it on, uh, how you frame taking on the debt and, and who you listen to to give you advice around taking on that debt is, is changing considerably. And I know, Victor, this is something quite big for you and it has been for as long as I've known you around this um, sort of education Absolutely. around finance. And mm-hmm. and as property investors, and I, I'd like to think we're probably probably more sophisticated property investors, we represent the very small percentage of Australians that own more than six investment properties, mm-hmm. right, which is small. The responsibility is on the investor to make sure that their relationship with debt is a good one. That's right. And Absolutely. it's their responsibility to make sure they're educated around making that. However, it's guys like you who can play a role in helping people shape those things. So mm-hmm. what do you think we're going to see moving forward? Look, uh, first of all, uh, if you're talking about debt, um, the number of zeros at the end is irrelevant. Right? What is really relevant is how many dollars per week does it cost you from your pocket to hold hold on to this number of zeros? We tend to look at that incorrectly uh, from from our educational perspective. I'm talking about primary and, and secondary education, where we, we're talking, oh, I owe $10 million, I owe $1 million, I owe $100,000. Someone that's owing, say, $10 million uh, might be in a far better position than someone just owing $100,000. If the, if to hold on to that $10 million debt, you're only contributing, say, $1,000 a, a month into that mixture. Whereas in a $100,000 debt, let's say you have to contribute $1,500 to hold on to that $100,000 debt, you'd rather have that higher debt because uh, understanding if it's relating to property, if you've got that higher debt, that means you've got that higher asset base. And if, if the asset selection is correct, it is growing at a higher percentage in terms of um, uh, the base being $10 million or $1 million, uh, And therefore, if it grows by 5%, Five percent of hundred thousand is far less. So we need to look at it from that viewpoint. With changes that were um, uh, brought in by EPRA, certainly, I think it went a little bit too extreme, and and now we have trying to to reset that uh, and giving the control back to the bank uh, in terms of lending, in terms of how they assess. And we're starting to hear this noise yep. now. It's still hard to get. Yes, credit that's right. is still hard to get. Very much so. Yeah. So yeah. we're talking about the APRA the APRA, Correct. all the proposed yep. mm-hmm. uh, APRA changes here, and, and I think everybody would have heard it, heard about it by mm-hmm. now, but we still need to take into account it's only proposed at this stage, and it's still going to be hard to get money mm-hmm. whilst the threshold has come down in terms of the buffer two percent, or I think they're suggesting two and a half percent above the cash rate. Mm-hmm. There's still the, you know, almost the forensic auditing on yeah, the scrutinising of, of your yeah, expenditure, to, your, yeah. your expenditure, and so mm-hmm. it still will be hard to get it'll just be easier than it was hopefully you'll qualify for a little bit more you'll qualify for a little bit so i think the numbers are if 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 they do reduce it um the threshold it'll mean around about nine percent more Mm -hmm. in terms of for the average joe or joanne to borrow nine percent more funds if however the rba drop the rate um, twice, well, that could translate into an extra sort of 15 to 17 if, if the banks, if the banks pass, pass it on. on. If yeah. the banks yeah. pass it yeah. on, and I think that's a key point as well because, yeah, my, you know, not that I'm an economist, but my opinion is this. I'm not 
if you throw the, the, the bank or the RBA dropping the rates and the banks do pass it on, um, you combine that with the five, which we'll talk a little bit further on, but the 5% first homeowners grant and then the ease of potential lending, I'm, I'm just not sure all those ingredients in the pot are for the best. Well, we, there's yeah. so much we don't know still. So going back to that remark I said, what we do know now is that the coalition is in power. What, what we don't know is that what influence that's going to have on property markets. Now, True. if you look at share markets, uh, the Monday after the election spiked the highest it's been since prior to the uh, GFC, right? Mm-hmm. So, but that, was for a com- that wasn't just on the election. That was a combination of the American market as absolutely. well. Absolutely. But yeah. it, was, it was a rally on the share market, right? Because True. I think, the, the, what do they call it, the ScoMo effect of the Morrison, mm. whatever it is, right? So, um, and, and, and the commentary prior to the election was that should the coalition get in, sort of the the economic backbone of Australia will be in much better shape than what it would be under a Labor government. So yep. people called it saying it'll be good for property markets if the coalition market if the coalition gets back in for a whole bunch of different reasons. So are we going to see a rally in 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 the property market moving forward? Who knows? But when you talk about APRA potentially softening serviceability requirements or making sure that or allowing banks greater flexibility to how they assess borrowers, all these things can potentially spark a movement, positive movement in in, in share markets, uh, sorry, in, in property markets. We don't know what's going to happen yet. So this comes back to how you approach this period moving forward. Now, my, my, my recommendation is not advice, and anything we say today, by the way, is just general in nature um, as a bit of a preamble. There's nothing specific is that you don't need the rush at the moment. Wait and watch but get your stuff right. And getting your stuff right is getting your finance right. And that means getting your relationship with your finance right. Now, a lot of people, and we're quite fortunate with this podcast that we have investors who are just starting out and, and you guys have a lot of experience in dealing with these people and hand-holding because for a lot of people, it's a big big decision to start investing in property through to people with, with huge portfolios, right? So getting this relationship with your finances sorted out. Now, Steve, what, what would be, when you're chatting with someone who's, new to investing, who are thinking about money and thinking about debt and thinking about their relationship with debt, what, what would be your counsel to them to actually set them up for a long-term sound relationship with how they approach financing or how they approach a relationship with debt? What would be or the how they approach the relationship with debt. Yeah. I, or a couple because then be, that's yeah. a different dynamic. Again. It, is, well, it, yeah, yeah. it is. It would be to identify their own risk profile mm. is one of the very first steps because a lot of people go into debt thinking that, Things will never change. Yeah, things that will never change and that they will actually be okay with, you know, whether it be half a million, a million, $10 million worth of debt until they have to put pen to paper and mm-hmm. then things change. Or if we have a hiccup in the economy, such as you know, the potential gearing changes or interest rates go up, whatever it may be, and then perhaps, um, you know, the truth comes out on what their risk profile is. So identifying the risk profile, I think, is ever so important because there's an inflection point. Um, that people need to identify between their risk profile and also how much time they have left for investing. So someone's risk profile might be far different than if they're, say, 55 or 60 mm-hmm. versus someone who's 25 and has another 40 years worth of Yeah, and the re- reason, reason why you say that is that if they get it wrong at age 50, 55, there isn't enough time to correct it. There's no second yeah. or third attempt. That's right. Yeah, that's and, right. And, that's, and I think that's where they have to identify the risk mm-hmm. profile and therefore the strategy that they execute yep. accordingly as yeah. opposed to if you're, you are 25. And, and the types of properties they buy and, and what they do with it. And, and if you look at um, uh, the APRA changes that are flagged, the, the first thing that's going to happen is that there's three weeks of consulting period. I think uh, 20th or 18th of June is when they uh, handing it 
fully onto the bank once they once they have their dialogues and then uh, we got to look at it from the bank's perspective as well they will have to change their infrastructure as well they've spent all this time changing the infra- their infrastructure in terms of the changes apra had brought in now they've got to reverse all of that uh, and, and that'll take time right so it's not like that apra's made the announcement today and uh, you know someone's clicked the magic button and and yeah, the switch turns on yeah it is it will be a gradual thing that that will will uh, come in so if you reverse this back to back uh, late 16 early 17 when when the brakes were starting to be put on it took about 6 to 8 months for it to gain traction before you could actually see any tangible uh, effects from from a lending perspective, even though we had called it way back then to say get your house in order, mm. um, and, and liquid. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm. And, and just because you can borrow a, a more now with these changes that are coming in, uh, doesn't mean that you go ahead and borrow uh, as much as you well, can. So the, the metaphor you, there is that it's like a ship, right? It takes a mm. long time to turn or Correct. stop. But but when it's sort of got momentum and going a particular mm. way. It's going to have this sort of groundswell and keep pushing sure. forward. But just because just because APRA may do this and the banks pass it on, there's still massive bottlenecks in terms mm-hmm. of of lending in certain areas. So if we take inner city apartments with this more than 30 apartments off the Correct. plan, uh, take Citibank as an example, they've they've just reduced their LVR position down to 65 percent on that sort of stuff. Well, so mm-hmm. gives you an insight into the sort of asset well, you're buying, right? Yeah, well, yeah. exactly. But maybe another time, but uh, yeah, another, <laughs> another off, podcast. Off the plan versus not. Yeah. But it, what that does, just because once again, APRA is perhaps going to release the brakes, it, that's not going to help those it's that are going to help them. Yeah. yeah. So, so this, we're talking about this relationship with, with debt, but what we're probably really getting at, Victor, um, in the context of property investment is the way you framed it, it's about cash flow. So it's what's actually coming out of your pocket Correct. and your ability to hold it. So whether you're holding a 10 million, 1 million, 100 grand in debt, it's the impact on you from mm-hmm. a, a cash flow perspective, which is key. So, so you know, we, we've touched on this in a number of podcasts, but we've never really drilled down into it. And this is the, the difference between cash flow and and growth. So why do you invest in, in property? Most people invest in property to create wealth. Yep. How do you create wealth? The property goes up in value, mm-hmm. right? But if you can't hold on to the property because you can't afford it, it doesn't work out. So cash flow versus capital growth, Mm. how do you balance the two? Look, the the traditional approach is to only focus on one side of the equation, which is the growth, right? Our approach is to look at both sides of the equation. It's no sense having a property that has got phenomenal growth prospects uh, unless you've got the ability to hold onto it uh, until the growth actually happens. So therefore, you have to, first of all, look at cash flow. In other words, the ability to hold on. And and the ability to hold on is different for every single person because your income's different, your expenditure pattern is different, your, your exposure to debt is different, the types of assets you hold, the type of job you hold, they're all different, right? So we need to bring it back to individual level. So there is no one magic formula to say that your cash flow has to be this. It, it comes back to the household budget to begin with as to how much is left over after your basic necessities uh, and the nice-to-haves uh, that you can uh, use to, to invest. And, and in, if I look at my own personal circumstances, I split my uh, money three ways. A third goes into investing, a third goes into your, your basic necessities, and the third goes into uh, planning for tax and and holidays and and all that sort of stuff, right? So it, it is clearly marked. Now, I get that most most people 
might not want to do that, but we do need to isolate some money to be able to channel down the investing path. Uh, and I don't mean by that. I don't mean your lump sum money. I'm talking about cash flow, the money coming I, monthly. I think if you're going to get yourself into multiple millions of dollars worth of debt, well, then you do need to approach mm-hmm. it far more seriously than perhaps if you've just got a four thousand dollar credit. Yeah, absolutely. Card. And that means the asset type as well. Mm-hmm. It may not just be property, but just coming back to one of the points you made earlier on, which is if people are if if people are investing for growth only and clearly the income is there to be able to pay the debt whilst that growth happens, yep. we need to be really clear that the growth doesn't happen overnight. Now, that's an obvious expression, but we've also just experienced Sydney's biggest bubble, hmm. or we're on the back end of it now, where we had 80% in five years. And most people will sit back and say, well, you know what, I can probably take on a couple of million dollars worth of debt with low cash flow because interest rates are low and it's, it's going to be a five-year period. I'll just scrimp and save and I'll, and I'll do it tough whilst I reap the benefit of the growth. But it doesn't happen like that. We don't know that if was it's going to be five years. Yeah. Well, it could be 10 years. It could mm-hmm. be 15 years. And, and I'd suggest that you should plan for 20 because over that extended period of time, you'll go up, you'll go down, you'll go sideways and then and then up again. But if you don't have the cash flow to support the debt, well, then you've got nothing. It's you just got a nothing. statistic with everybody else. So, so as, you, as you approach how your ability to service debt will influence the way you go about investing in property, your macro and microeconomic factors, they're outside of your control, what the government does, what policy or legislation gets put in a regulation. You can't control any of that stuff. What happens to property markets? What you can control is your own position and your relationship to those things to make the most informed decisions. Now, you're in an environment of – we've shifted from an environment of a lot of uncertainty into – a little bit more certainty, but there's still a lot of unknowns. What's going to happen with the property markets, right? What's going to happen with interest rates? What banks are going to do? What's going to be their access to funding? How that's going to influence your interest rates, all this sort of stuff. But as you look at the next mid, short to mid-term period, and we're talking about a 10 or 15-year horizon longer term, but you want to get into the property game. In this market right now, could it be the best time in a generation to get in the property market? Is it the worst time in a generation to get in the property market? Where you should be investing, what you should be investing in? Now, let, let's just break that down a little bit. Do you think this current climate, this current situation for Australia, it's a good time to be investing in property? Steve? Um, I do, but I think you need to be very, very specific in how you approach it. And that obviously means the debt, the structure, uh, cash flow management, because uh, you know, that's what it is about but also where you choose to invest, taking into account your risk profile and how long your journey is going to be. Is it going to be a 10-year journey, a 15-year journey? Depending on your work, your working life, shelf life, so to speak. But to answer the question, yeah, I, I always think somewhere is a good time to invest. It's as, it's as simple but as there's that. So, but there's so many things. Like you just rattled out sort of 10 different attributes which might influence the way in which you approach investing in property right now. Like how do you how do you work that out? Because I, I got confused. Listen, I sort of like to think I know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, how long am I going to be in the market for? What should I be investing in? How much money do I have? You know, there's a lot of stuff you just don't there's know. There's a lot of pieces to the puzzle. And yeah. I think this is where the, the problem lies is people, you know, want to put the puzzle together and mm-hmm. miss a few pieces. And it's okay to miss a couple of pieces though, Victor? Look, if you've got the bigger picture, yes. Yeah. Um, but if you're missing too many pieces, then you can't unfold the okay, picture. Okay, so right? which bits do you absolutely have to have? Well, you've got to have the foundation, right? So yeah. you've got to have the foundation. So your, your question earlier on was that, is this the right time to invest, mm. right? And I, I reckon, and I'm going to go out on a limb over here, right? I reckon that in the last decade, this, this right now, where we stand, is the best time to invest. The reason why I say that is that your unemployment rate 
is at 5.1. Highest it has been since August 2018. Five is about the right figure. Uh, I don't want it below five. You look at uh, inflation. Uh, inflation is the highest since it has been for the third quarter of 2016. It's sitting, it is sitting at 1.3, right? Sorry, um, lowest. And month on month in April, month on month uh, in April, it sat at zero percent. No one's talked about that, right? You overlay that with the uncertainty that we've gone through, where people have held back, so uh, buildings have stopped because finance isn't available. To get the finance will take probably 12 to 18 months before it actually fully rolls out. So we've got this gap in the market where the prices aren't going to take a run. Yes, there'll be some correction, but it won't have a massive run. In the meantime, because we are not building so many properties at the moment, we're not buying so many properties at the moment, our yields are starting to creep up and the money has been the cheapest it has ever been. Therefore, when you look at this, this is the best time to set up your foundation and wait for the growth. It is very similar to what happened post-GFC when people are still a bit scared jumping into the market or even if they did want to jump into the market, they hadn't sorted out their finance. Uh, they hadn't got their finance right to begin with or even if they wanted to invest, they didn't have the equity behind them because the equity had eroded uh, because of the GFC, right? And, and we're getting similar things right now. So people that have been listening to our podcast from day one, we've been saying, be finance ready, keep your equity liquid. Those people can pounce right now and buy properties that that would have a very solid foundation. And if you if you went along the um, uh, the growth corridors, and bought properties that didn't have a huge negative cash flow without any tax input, those are the types of properties I would buy. Well, they're the people that are executing that opportunity now, those mm -hmm. people that have stayed liquid. But if, if we even go a bit further from that, we've had a building commitments have just crashed 16% yep. the last quarter. We've still got a strong population growth, I think is 1.6% per annum. So that's huge. Somewhere that inflection point is gonna take effect mm -hmm. somewhere where the supply that we have now, and in some areas it is oversupply, will be absorbed and it will lurch back into a post-GFC position yep. where the demand can't keep up with the supply mm -hmm. or, the, or the other way around. But I think, because you said it's the best time ever in the world to invest. It's, in the um, last decade. In the last decade. <laughs> That's going to come back and bite him I, at some well, point. I'm gonna, I'm Let's gonna, remember that, Steve. We'll pull it out at some point. I'm, I'm just going to soften it. I'm going to stand by it. I'm yeah. going to soften it just a little bit. I'm going to say, I'm going to agree with you. For some people it will be, and for some people it will be the worst. Mm -hmm. Fair point. And, and to an earlier remark, I said, you don't need to rush, right? You're, you're, the people who are going to benefit from the market you just outlined, Victor, are people who were, were ready. They're right? ready. So yeah. for, for those who are... Now, thinking it's time to get ready, this sort of foundational approach to preparing yourself to mm. invest in property, it's probably a good time to get started. Now, we spoke about relationship with debt and how you go about sort of doing it. And, and on that basis, you're not going to solve everything yourself. You need to speak to people, you know, to help you work out what the relationship's going to be. And it can be like a good accountant or a financial planner or a, a good buyer's agent or property strategist can really help you out with that stuff. But this foundational approach about what you need to get right, we're speaking about this jigsaw. Mm -hmm. It's okay for some bits not to be there, but there's essential that certain bits are definitely there. Absolutely. So, so yep. what are those three or four bits that need to be absolutely water So certainly the cash flow needs to be there. That's that's the key, right? All of this can get unraveled if you can't afford to hold on to your properties. That I, I keep coming back to that because mm. that is absolute fundamental. Once you've addressed that, because then that'll determine where you're buying, what you're buying, 
uh, once we've addressed that, then we want to make sure that the properties that we're buying is liquid. So is someone going to rent it? Is someone going to fund, fund it? So as an example, a Citibank example, 65% LVR. I wouldn't buy that right now because if I rent to trouble, someone needs to come in with a 35-40% deposit to buy it off me, right? So that that takes away pretty much three quarters of the market. And it's not a $300,000 asset. Exactly right. It's a six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars off the plan apart Mm -hmm. amongst Mm -hmm. thousands of others. That's right. So you're looking at funding liquidity and then you're also looking at liquidity in general. In in other words, people need to be wanting to live there. People need to be wanting to buy into that area. I think it's important that people actually approach this if you're just starting to actually think of the worst possible scenario. We we tend to look at the best case scenario, don't we? Yeah, and that's the point. So people are looking at interest rates now at 4.5%. I mean, you can get sub uh, sub fours three and a half percent three point eight percent and if you're doing your calculations based on such low cost of money now what happens when it gets to five percent that's right because it will yep what happens when it gets to six percent it will it may not be next year or the year after but it'll eventually get there Mm -hmm. so if you are only just surviving within your own household banking system so to speak now low rates what happens when it goes up well let's take whether what if you know when it goes from interest only into principal and interest can you afford to hold on to that property you need to do this there are so many people at that cliff edge and yeah maybe APRA's um, change in scenario may help Mm -hmm. that potential cliff fall but if so so therefore asset selection is where the goal is and it's not just because you spend a million dollars on an investment property doesn't make it a good investment and just because cheap it's cheap doesn't mean that it's a good investment. There's mm. a sweet spot somewhere in between those two. And it, I think it is horses for courses. But once again, taking on or, or modelling out the worst case scenario at a higher interest rate or even just today's interest rate on the week in, week out, week out deficit mm-hmm. pre-tax, you might surprise yourself on what that shortfall is between the two asset types and yep. also between the yield that they derive. That's right. And as an investor, you have to physically sit down and do these numbers. Otherwise, you know, you're still flying blind. And um, by the time you find out uh, how much cash flow it's costing you, it may become too late. So always do your figures up front. And I think we also need to sort of dispel a few myths that just because it's a higher priced asset, it means that naturally it'll just grow more as a percentage. And just because the cash flow on a property is higher doesn't mean that it'll grow less. Yep. So there are some myth-busting scenarios there as well. You know, there's a future for you guys, like the, the property myth-busters. I could see you <laughs> you two guys dressing in a lab coat, you know, running around, Victor, with some crazy sort of science stuff with green goo coming out of something or other and, you know, like a, like a beaker bubbling away and busting myths around property. Can you see it? Who do you see yourself as? Me? Mm. The test dummy. <laughs> what do they call that thing? Uh, on, um, you know, Mythbusters. Yeah, the yeah, the yeah, dummy yeah. actually had a name. Yeah, uh, Phil Tarrant. Phil Tarrant. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think it was Phil. Mate, I've been a test dummy for a lot of people uh, in, in property and you know, it's one of the reasons why I do what I do, right? You know, as you know, Steve, I've been... Did you say that? A slight dig, wasn't I know, it? right? Yeah. I know, I know. I know. <laughs> I've, been, uh, I've been very open about well, aren't my, you fortunate? my investing journey. <laughs> Someone needs to be... Uh, you know what? I, I reckon I'll, I'll call this scene Victor's... Being a big man on campus today, sort of making these big predictions. Big uh, man on campus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I reckon I'm a, I'm a pretty good um, example of of well, 
probably 90% of what I do as a property investor is probably a good example for how being a good investor. I've got the, the foundations right. I've, I've found the right people to offer me advice and insights. Uh, I've used the right professionals to actually help me execute on my strategy and develop that strategy. It, it's not rocket science. And it's not. That's getting the, getting that's it, it right in property. You've just got to, you know, hopefully by doing stuff like this and the other things that we do, so, sharing, so let's, sharing these stories. Let's talk about that 10% that you're not doing right. What aren't you doing right? My administration's appalling. This is a counselling <laughs> session. Where's the couch? Just there. Yeah, it is. Oh, that's, that's a bit hard. Like, um, I don't give it the time I probably should considering mm. the size of the portfolio. Yep. You know, but... And, and the result of that is probably cost me a, a few few more bucks a year to hold on to it. Twenty five thousand just to be exact. It's actually more than that, you know. And um, I think it costs each property in my portfolio costs I don't know between twenty eight twenty eight hundred bucks and three thousand dollars a year to hold. And we're talking about the the, the interest rates, yeah, but that's yeah. another podcast. But that's that's obviously everything, yeah. right? You know. Mm. Um, yeah, what, sort yeah. of. My visibility to my portfolio is probably pretty bad um, mm. sometimes. Like. There'll be points when I'll go, I'll have someone doing the, the thing for me and I'll go, what, what, this thing hasn't been rented for, for three months. Like, See, what's there, going on with that? And there's the danger. Yeah, yeah. Yep, exactly because, where I was yeah. heading. If, you, if, if, if something's not rented for three months and you haven't got the- And you haven't felt it. You haven't felt it, that's dangerous. It's dangerous, right? Because yeah. you, you, you just don't know, right? So there is, you haven't felt it, like you're, you're not living on two-minute noodles to support that's your property right. but there, there is no excuse, and I'm obviously making excuses, but there's no excuse for not being- Connected with your portfolio and connected with your numbers, and I think this yeah, is where that's the ten percent, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and where I could do better. Hmm. I'm not appalling at it, but I could be better at it. No, but you're pretty crap. It, <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> adequate at best, maybe. Adequate at best. I like that. But I think, like, so we've talked about, you know, potentially choose, you know, identifying your risk profile, choosing the right asset, mm-hmm. cash flow, and and that could be a four-hour podcast about cash flow management. But Phil actually raises a really good point. It's well, now that you own the property. There is admin work. There is admin work, but the cash flow management side of it and actually feeling or always being connected with the portfolio can be the difference between falling back on your sword and losing everything Mm -hmm. versus actually propelling yourself into the next investment, whatever that looks like. So, uh, you know, uh, taking you on that vein, I I run my uh, finances uh, for for the property portfolio in a... a, um, Interesting way in the sense that all of the income, so all of the rent comes into the one account, regardless of entity, and all of the mortgage repayments goes out from that account. So I've got very clear visibility if the account balance keeps dropping that, hang on, something's wrong. Yeah. I may not have picked something up. So if you've got multiple properties, perhaps you need to relook at how uh, the money comes in and how the money goes out so that you're setting up, setting up several uh, stop gaps so that um, uh, if you get too busy, the account balance flags to you that hang on, there's something wrong. We need to we need to look at that. Yeah, but let's be real. Mm. Like, it should really only take a maximum an hour. I was going to say a couple of hours a month. Yeah, really, it's not that. So you but that, gotta, that, that, that bikes into his fish and chips time. It does. Well, yeah. it does. But no, but, it, but that's <laughs> that's just the data entry. Yes. But then if we start talking about well, you got to start chasing up quotes mm. and. Yeah, you know, repairs and maintenance. Uh, fixing, you know, up driveways. fixing up driveways. Fixing up driveways. You know, but this is your going back to your your relationship with debt and money. Mm-hmm. You got to be accountable and responsible for doing this stuff. You know, as much this as you, as much as you try and outsource it, you're still accountable for it. Well, this is it. And the more zeros, even though Victor said it's just zeros, mm. it um, yeah, there is a psychological event. Look, there is there going is. on in your head. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. with you know, three zeros versus ten, mm-hmm. and I think you should approach it. Differently, once mm. again, yeah. And yeah. I think I think your relationship with money, a lot of it's going to be, <clears throat> a lot of it's a lot of your relationship with money initially is going to be 
how you've grown up with money. Um, but that shouldn't really dictate the way you approach and have a relationship with money into the future. I think that's oh, yeah. a really, really mm. important point. Uh, a lot of people grow up in, let's call it a, a more conservative uh, household where the relationship with money has always been you pay your mortgage down, you live in a house, that's about it. You try and live quite frugally. And if you've if you've grown up on that particular you know, mindset around money, it can be very hard for people to shift into a different gear. And, and I imagine you see it all the time, Steve. With, all, with, all the with, time. And so if we let's, – actually, let's extend that out. Mm. So as I mentioned earlier on – in the podcast, everyone today is an entrepreneur or a wannabe uh, entrepreneur. So what happens to next generation and their relationship with debt? And especially if, if, we're, getting, if we're getting it wrong now, well, then it could be diabolical uh, in the future. And, and the reason I say that is because, once again, planning for the worst mm-hmm. and perhaps being a little bit more conservative on outcomes will actually hold you in good stead Absolutely. Uh, for the future. And typically... or, or to be precise, more about the cost of money because mm. the relationship you have with debt is also steered by the cost of money at that point in time. Here's a hypothetical for you, Victor, and I'm sure you've seen this a lot in, in the work you've done with, with your clients. What do you do if there's a fracture between two people and they have a different relationship with debt but they're in it together? And I'm talking maybe you know, two people investing together or partners investing together and, and one of them has a poor relation with debt and money management. One has a great relation with debt and money management. How do you sort this out? Very hard to sort out. Yeah. Very hard to sort out. You need to be on the same page to begin with uh, with money because most divorces, most separations happen around money. Yep. And, and relationships break down because of money. If you got a common goal, so if you sorted out your common goal as to what you're achieving and, and, and dedicate a certain amount of funds towards it, it tends to mitigate that so that you know you can still spend with whatever you want in terms of your discretionary spending so long as you're quarantining a amount of money uh, towards the portfolio towards investing but um, uh, you know it, it comes back to having the education around you and, and mindsets can change right so if you, if you look at me uh, I, I come from Fiji and our relationship with debt my father um, he was a farmer and for him to take a loan out from the bank he would go and sit downstairs and wait until there was, uh, because the loans department was upstairs, so he'd go and sit down uh, downstairs and he'd wait until there was no one downstairs that knew him before he scooted up upstairs to apply for the loan. So my relationship with debt at that point in time was that debt is really bad because it's got a stigma to it because that's how, we, how I grew up. So it's a part of educating yourself, making sure that uh, your, your baggage that you grew up with or, or the um, uh, paradigms that you grew up with is actually challenged and making sure that you, you are up to the times. That's a good point because conversely, debt is almost worn like a badge of honour now. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's just as, that's just as dangerous. Well, just you're, as dangerous. you're actually able to get it. You've got mm. a rubber stamp that yeah. you're, you're, you're <laughs> No, no, more, no <laughs> more because of the way that once again, you know, everybody thinks a little like an entrepreneur now. Mm. Is, you know, if you've got a you know, million dollars worth of debt, two million dollars of debt, well then potentially you've got an asset that's it's growing. And, and, and mm. to be... Yeah, to be very precise, it's not like I have a million dollars debt on a Bentley. Mm. It's um, it's it's more yeah, a million dollars. It just sits in my garage. It just sits in my garage. Let's talk about good and bad debt. Well, that's it. I mean, going back to Robert Kiyosaki, all the way back there, and he was a pioneer of that time, and I think he he said it very well. So I think just summarise then this relationship with debt. I think it's an important 
point that everyone, if you're looking to invest in property, you need to actually understand and have an appreciation what your relationship with debt is today. And you know what? It's probably going to change. You know, most likely it's going it to change. Will. You need to make sure that you've got mechanisms, processes to be able to, if you're investing with someone, that you're able to collectively have a relationship with debt. And you might, it might be different, but mm-hmm. you need sort of rules or, or protocols around how you approach investing together. The, the important thing is that uh, everyone can change their relationship with debt immediately. You know, just by listening to this podcast, hopefully some people are going, you know what, I've probably got to start thinking about things maybe differently. How can I do that? You can read, you can listen to other podcasts, you can immerse yourself. There's information galore about how you can be better educated on debt. And I think that's the opportunity for everyone is to educate themselves more. Absolutely. I think, I think if you just... And, and people who have a good relationship with debt, I think it's incumbent on, on guys like us who yeah. we're, we're quite happy to talk about debt, that financial literacy for all Australians, I think is something that can be improved. Well, I think, and I, I really like that point. I think if, you know, if, we, if I was a politician and I had a platform, it would be about that mm. exact thing, is, is you know, teaching kids about you know, financial management, what is good debt, what is bad debt. And if I now come back to the main point about debt is that if you could just, if you really want to simplify it, just break it down into two portions, productive debt and non-productive debt, and that should make it a little simpler for you. Mm. Mm. And, and then also plan as to how you're going to get out of the debt. What's the end look like? Plan for the worst. Mm. Yeah, well, plan for the best as well, right? You know, it's yeah, probably best be- as we're all planning for a, a retirement. Your, your retirement probably driving a, a backhoe on a thousand acres somewhere and just moving dirt around. Victor, I don't know what your dream would be. Well, what's, 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 like, what's the happy Gilmore sort of uh, bubble, <laughs> bubble, uh, bubble um, thing? Yeah, everyone knows what I'm talking about here. You know, go on. <laughs> oh no, my God, man. What, what, happy Gilmore. Look, where's your, where's your, where's your happy place? <laughs> my happy place. It's probably in his probably, a carver. Pro- probably in his basement counting his money. I reckon. But, yeah, yeah, that too. That too. <laughs> the right? Scrooge, yeah, Uncle Scrooge. Gold coins, yes, yes. Now, uh, look, I can't see myself uh, not uh, having a say in prop in the property industry, mm. right? Uh, it, it, it gets me out of bed, uh, but there will come a time where I do need to ease back, and um, if that's the case, then uh, I'm not uh, someone that travels a lot or or, or um, has expensive hobbies or anything like that. I, I prefer to sit around with friends, um, have a yarn, uh, and uh, live life at its terms. Yeah, that's fair, you know, and it's, it's a good thing about uh, where we are today and, and this great nation we live with, which now seems to have some... Uh, spring in its step. Spring in its step. It's a good point. Spring in its step. What, what's what's uh, Morrison's mantra? A, a fair go for Aussies that have a go, and I think all property investors are having a go. Well, they're... They're having a say in the future, right? Yep, and that's uh, what we're all about. If you enjoyed, Victor, um, our question today, um, what what what's uh, what's come through on the uh, on the uh, the emails recently? Anything in particular that you want to cover off? You've caught him, but I tell you what, <laughs> I, I tell you what, we did have um, we had some really good feedback. Yes, I didn't actually tell you about it. Vic, that uh, we had a listener called Leanne G, is what I'll refer to it, and she'll be listening now, and you know who I'm talking about, and. Uh, she actually really appreciated just the, the the simple form in which we deliver the information, and we try to do that quite deliberately. We don't want to be overcomplicating things mm-hmm. and sounding you know, too scientific because it can get a little you know, over the top. And specifically for you, Phil. Oh no, she didn't say anything. Oh, okay. <laughs> 
well, so yeah. thank you, Leanne G. I know my role, and it's uh, really just to extract the uh, the best out of you guys. So, uh, and I say today I've done a pretty mediocre job because what you've both said has been pretty average. But luckily, I'm here to support and fly the flag and keep this thing moving forward. So lucky Phil, lucky Phil. <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks, guys. Appreciate appreciate the insights. I think you know we've covered off some really good stuff. A little bit philosophical, but that's okay. Uh, money can sometimes be that way. Uh, it's, it's how you choose to approach it. And the mechanisms you have in place to be better at managing your money and, and your relationship with money. But also, it goes back to my point, you can't blame anyone if you've got a bad relationship with money. You've got to sort it out yourself. Or live with it. Mm-hmm. Or live with it. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the choice you get to make. But yes. uh, hopefully by tuning this podcast, um, uh, you can have a better relationship with money, better relation with debt, better relationship with property investment and uh, achieve uh, those goals. Um, Victor, if anyone's got any questions, they want to extend this conversation, I'm sure you're happy to take it offline, online. Um, what's sure. the best way to contact they you can, guys? They can write to us, questions at writepropertygroup.com.au okay. or they can go to our website or our Facebook page. We've got a whole raft of information there. Uh, if they go onto our website, there's uh, quite a few blogs, quite a few videos, uh, educational videos in there that they can um, – uh, use for their own good. And we also have, um, and we've had that for quite a long time, but we don't really talk about it much. Uh, there's an ebook mm-hmm. there that they can yep. download. So just go to the website, pop your details in, and it'll flick out to you That's immediately. Cool. Well, I, I decided to do a question today because I thought that the coverage around sort of post election and this would keep it going. But I think maybe we should dedicate a whole a whole episode to Q and A just to cover yeah. these things off because I know there's a lot coming through. Mm-hmm. So um, make sure you, you email that email address that Victor just uh, told everyone. Um, happy to cover off. Absolutely anything. Absolutely no, anything. Nothing, nothing uh, is off limit or, or off the record, maybe. Let's qualify that a little let's bit. Let's qualify that <laughs> a little bit. But, uh, we'll sort that out. But um, thanks for, for joining us today, uh, Investing Insights with the Right Property Group. And uh, we'll see you again uh, next episode. Until then, bye-bye. The information featured in this podcast is general in nature, does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property or financial planning decision, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you.